Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. She left her bike. She was by herself and started hiking. And then a short time later, people could hear her screaming. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. On June 12th, 1987, Kathy Spazito went out to dinner with some friends. What none of them could have realized is that this was the last time they would ever see her alive. To this day, investigators have never made an arrest, and a motive has never been clear. Somebody with a lot of rage and anger who wanted to put an end to her life. I'm joined by Erica Stapleton, reporter with 12 News in Phoenix, Arizona. Erica, you've been digging into this homicide case from all the way back in 1987. Introduce us to this story. Where does this begin? Well, Reed, as you said, it begins um, this woman, Kathy Spacito. She's 23 years old. She, it's, you know, heading into summertime in Arizona. She's a college student up in Prescott, which is about an hour and a half north west of Phoenix. Um, it's a beautiful area. There's a lot of hiking, a lot of sceneries. It's kind of the gateway up to, you know, our North Country where we have a lot of other great outdoor activities. But she's 23, you know, young, living her life. And the following morning after she had that dinner with her friends, she told them that she was planning to go and hike at a very popular trail. So she rode her bike there left her bike on the ground, started hiking, and that was it. She was never, never seen again. She was killed. It was, you know, still hard to comprehend even 34 years later because, you know, there doesn't seem to be any sort of rhyme or reason. It, you know, there was no indication that anyone was, you know, after her. Her family has said she didn't really have any enemies. She wasn't that kind of person. So, Decades later, this, you know, is still unsolved and there are still so many questions that remain unanswered because she shouldn't have died that way. Tell us a little bit more about Kathy Spacito. You mentioned she was 23. She was a college student. What else do we know about her? Well, we know from speaking with her brother that she is from New York. Her whole family is from New York, like the city. So coming out to Arizona was a bit of a culture shock, but she apparently loved it, according to her brother, Sale. Um... She was out here studying at Prescott College and had been out here for, I believe, just a year. This was the first, like, the first time she had moved out. And she was studying. She was enjoying it. She had made friends. She was, you know, active in the community. So according to her brother, she just absolutely loved Arizona and couldn't imagine being back in New York. So this was a place she really wanted to be in, and it was a place she wanted to call home. She was, you know, studying, living her life, and it was tragically cut short. So what exactly happened when she went out to this hiking trail near Prescott? So this trail, it's called the Thumb Butte Trail, and it's part of the Prescott National Forest. And it's about a 10-minute drive from downtown Prescott, which 
would be about maybe a three-mile bike ride for Kathy from the college area she was um, presumably staying in. And she rode her bike there. That's what the investigators say. Rode her bike, left her bike at the trailhead, and started hiking. And this trail, it goes in a bit of a loop. So you can go up one way or up another, but it ultimately loops back around. It's very popular, although it is part of a very, well, it's part of a forest. It's definitely part of a forest. So it's, you know, thick woods, although the trail is paved and it kind of winds through all of that. So you can see a lot of the nature around you, but not necessarily everything that's in front of you, which is something that investigators would soon learn happened in her case because Kathy, she left her bike, she was by herself and started hiking. And then a short time later, people could hear her screaming. So there were other people on the trail, but they could hear her, but they couldn't see her. And by the time anyone reached her, she was already dead. And investigators, even to this day, haven't released all the details as to exactly what happened there. But we can understand from what they've said in past interviews is that it was a pretty brutal beating and it was not not something anyone would ever want to go through or could imagine going through, especially when you're supposed to be somewhere that's peaceful and, you know, brings joy. It's supposed to be this beautiful forest trail easy to hike, popular, something a lot of people in the area do. And this just ended so cruelly for her. Right. And you mentioned that she was going out to hike by herself. So as far as we know, she didn't indicate to anyone that she was planning to meet up with someone or, or anything like that. She was just planning to go out and enjoy some nature by herself. That, to our understanding, yes. And I guess um, speaking with her brother, this was something that wasn't unusual uh, especially coming from New York, um, Arizona is a bit of a culture shock. So she was really taking advantage of getting to, you know, be involved in the outdoors. And she was, you know, an avid hiker and was doing a lot of outdoor stuff that her, you know, family came to learn. Unfortunately, in the days and years after she had died, when they're, you know, learning about this life she had in Arizona and realized that she just loved the environment here and. Again, that makes it harder to reconcile that she was out doing something that she loved when she was taken so so brutally. Have you been out to to this trail? What's it like out there? I mean, it's it's hard to think of something like this happening at a, a relatively busy hiking trail in broad daylight. That's correct. And yes, I have been out to this trail um, actually just last week. So it was when we were working to put the story together, we took you know a fresh look at the scene there and. It, yeah, you're right, Reed. It is hard because, you know, this, it has a parking lot. There are signs like this is something, it's not, you know, a remote trail in the middle of nowhere. This is something that's heavily used even to this day by people in and around the Prescott area and really all across Arizona. Um, you can drive on up. Even when I was there, I would see people, you know, crossing paths with people going on hikes, walking their dogs. It's a very casual kind of trail. So it's not, you know, necessarily reserved for the most intense hikers. This is something that's super accessible to almost anybody. And, you know, unfortunately her killers were, or killer or killers, it's, you know, still not clear. Investigators haven't necessarily said if they believe one or maybe more people are involved, but it's, you know, a place where her, you know, Unfortunately, some bad people had access to this area as well. But the scene, um, I'm trying to think of what it might be like. But if you, you know, if, if you've ever been to like a state park or, you know, there's a parking lot, there's a lot of signage, not necessarily anyone monitoring or watching it, but it's very easy to see people come and go. But once you get up into the trail area, it becomes 
you know, it, you do lose sight of people unless they're, you know, in your party or they're really close by because the trail, although it's pretty open and paved and you can walk through it very easily, it does wind up into a bunch of trees. So if you're not really close to somebody, you aren't going to see them. It's very, you know, it's dense woods up there. So it's not necessarily, you know, even though, even though other people were actually on the trail at the time she died, it was, you know, not unbelievable that no one saw this happen. Right. I was going to say, it sounds like there was some time that passed, obviously, between when these other hikers heard screaming and then when they found Kathy's body. So I assume they, these other hikers, didn't get a look at whoever did this. Is there any sort of description or or did anyone see anything suspicious out on the trail that day? No. According to investigators, even to this day, um, we don't have any idea what a suspect or suspects, as they've said in past interviews, could possibly look like. Um, This was something that people heard. But as far as we know, no one saw anything, which would be, you know, a crucial key for investigators to be using to kind of solve this at this point if someone was actually there to witness exactly what happened. But as far as we know, nothing like that occurred. So if we don't have a description of a suspect and there haven't been any named suspects over the years, have investigators ever publicly revealed a possible motive why someone might have wanted to to target Kathy or, or, or do this? I think investigators have been weighing a lot of different options and still are to this day. I know it's been 34 years and that's a hard, that's a really long time to go without answers. But, you know, in listening to past interviews and just, re- you know, reading up on the case, it's it's not clear. That's what makes it more unimaginable and like so blasphemous because there isn't a set motive. Again, no one, you know, knew any known enemies to Kathy and investigators say maybe someone was in the woods waiting for her. Maybe someone followed her in there unbeknownst to her. They really don't know, or at least haven't publicly released exactly why something so brutal might've happened. And along with that, the public has never heard any name or any description of any possible suspect. It sounds that investigators maybe had some people in mind, but again, none of this has been publicly released. And their reasoning is that they want to keep a lot of stuff close to the vest just because, you know, in case something does come up and there is, you know, they want to have leverage if they are questioning someone and, you know, they need to know the intimate details of the case. And if it's really publicly available, then it makes it harder to maybe rule people out or weed people out when there is a situation where there could be a potential suspect. You know, it it really is hard to fathom something like this, something this brutal, being random. But to date, we haven't been offered another explanation to, to fill in some of these blanks. Where does the investigation stand today? And if this is going to be solved, how do investigators think that that might happen? Well, what they've been working on really over the past decade is trying to use new DNA technology to try and maybe pull some new evidence from things that there were collected back in 1987, um, which we've heard in other cases before. Of course, technology has evolved quite a bit over time, and it's something that's been used to crack cases that have been cold for decades. But 
At this point, again, they're keeping everything really close to the vest. They're being very tight-lipped about any possible leads that they've been exploring. But even speaking with investigators um, recently, this year, in 2021, they still are saying that they do get a couple leads every year. They explore them and they're working them. It sounds like it's still an active investigation despite there not being any you know, outward momentum or any sort of announcement or suspect. It's something that they want to keep in the forefront of the public's minds because it's their belief, and we've heard in interviews with detectives in the past, they believe that, you know, you hear this all the time with cold cases, someone knows something. But in this case, they have evidence apparently to suggest that someone who was involved in this told someone else some of these details. And as far as we know, they are still waiting for a person or persons who may know something to come forward. And I'll add that it's not too late. You know, cases can get solved at any time. It's something that the investigators have been pushing for every year. They even have a $10,000 reward offered um, for anyone that brings information that leads to an arrest. So there's a big incentive to try and get people to talk. And it would really bring a lot of closure to Kathy's family. Her brother is still the one that's checking in on this. Unfortunately, her parents passed away without knowing any answers, and it was brutal for them. They lost their daughter and had to go and live decades with that, you know, weighing on them for so long. And it's something her brother is, you know, continuing to push for justice, even though it's been 34 years. It's been, you know, she's been gone longer than she was ever alive. And it's something that families like her still have to deal with to this day. So that's what investigators are using as well to try and encourage people that may know something to really share with them any details, even if it's small, that could help them really link this together and result in an arrest. Erica Stapleton with 12 News in Phoenix. Thanks for sharing this story. Thank you, Reed. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. If you're new, we're here every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday. So you're going to want to make sure you hit subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you use. And if you're looking for more true crime, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows, including our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. <laughs>